This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome to a supplemental edition of the NACOcast. In this episode, guest host Eric Friesen, writer and broadcaster, presents his pre-concert chat entitled, Fate Lurks But Tunes Triumph. And now, Eric Friesen. So good evening, everyone. I'm Eric Friesen, delighted to see you here as the season opens. Isn't this always a wonderful time when the orchestra season begins again and this year beginning with this romantic festival and beginning tonight with the most arch-romantic of composers in uh, Tchaikovsky, mostly Tchaikovsky tonight. A little bit of John Astachio to start us off with sort of like a bright amuse-bouche And then we get into Tchaikovsky. I'm uh, going to talk to you a little bit about Tchaikovsky tonight, about the two two main works that we're hearing, uh, the Fifth Symphony in the second half and the Piano Concerto with Yefim Bronfman as soloist. And I've entitled my talk, Fate Lurks But the Tunes Triumph. Uh, I think you'll probably understand what that means, and I'll get to the fate and to the tunes in just a little bit. But first I want to discuss a little bit the strange place that Tchaikovsky has in the overall pantheon of classical composers. The question is, is Tchaikovsky a great composer? No question he's a popular composer, but is he a great one? This is a question which has bedeviled all of us who love classical music for a long time. I'll just say to people as they come in, please feel free to come in. I'm just talking. Um, don't stand on ceremony. I'm not playing. Uh, so you can come in. There are lots of seats over here yet. Uh, feel free to walk in front of me or behind me and find a seat. I wish we were serving drinks. You know, it almost feels like we should serve drinks here in this place. Where, where is the waiter when we need him or her? Anyway, is Tchaikovsky a great composer? And I want to start with a, a quote uh, from one of my favorite books on classical music, which is called, just a simple paperback called The Vintage Guide to Classical Music. People often ask me if there's one book you know, in your library that you'd want to have above all others. This is definitely one of them. It's quite simple, but beautifully written. Nice introduction to almost all the composers by an American composer and, and musicologist named Jan Swafford. So this is how he begins his chapter on Tchaikovsky. He says, perhaps no composer of renown has had so many complaints registered against him while staying in business. 
And Tchaikovsky, we know, was always among his own most severe critics. I mean, if you think some people are cr critical of Tchaikovsky, he himself was among his worst critics. He, he really started the generations of carping, both from his enemies and his friends, about his tendency to be, among other things, bombastic, glib, and even vulgar. And yet from his own time to ours, he has been one of the most popular of all composers, especially important, I think, for many of us as a gateway into the appreciation of classical music. And in the long run, writes Jan Swafford, Tchaikovsky transcends his faults. He transcends his faults. He recognized and struggled tenaciously against them. His hero, interestingly enough, was Mozart, who perhaps enabled him to keep a bit of a classical reign uh, on his rampaging passions. But clearly, heart-on-sleeve emotion is Tchaikovsky's main stock in trade. In his music and in his life, Tchaikovsky was the archetypal Russian artist, a hectic blend of spiritual aspiration and extravagant self-indulgence, a saint and a charlatan, self-inflated and self-loathing, fatalistic and more than a little mad. End of a long quote from Jan Swafford. And I think all of that may be a little bit overstated. Yes, please come in, folks. Seats over here. Make yourselves at home. Maybe a little bit overstated, but certainly there's a lot of truth to that statement. Certainly Tchaikovsky was a gateway into classical music for me in a way, and here I'm going to tell you a personal story which says a lot about Tchaikovsky's reputation when I was growing up among a certain segment of classical music fans led by my father. My father was a businessman, but he was also a record collector and a big classical music fan, and Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, Schubert, and Wagner were the big heroes in our house. Um, you know, at night we would hear Arthur Rubinstein or Dietrich Fischer Dieskau. We'd hear Bach cantatas, the Boston Symphony led by Charles Munch. We'd hear chamber music with all the great trios, but not Tchaikovsky. So here I was, 11 years old in 1958, the year Van Cliburn won the Tchaikovsky competition. How many remember that? How many remember that? Wasn't that something? And I, here I was living in this small town of Altona, Manitoba, and coming in the mail to his Time magazine, and there was this handsome, young, long, lanky drink of water from Texas named Van Cliburn, who'd won the first Tchaikovsky competition in the middle of the Cold War. What an exciting time. This was the time I decided I would join the RCA Record Club. And one of the first, one of the free LPs, the six that you got for joining, was the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto with Van Cliburn's performance, recorded by the RCA Symphony by Kirill Kondrashin. It wasn't actually recorded at the festival, just shortly thereafter. And I will never forget the day when it arrived in the mail, this beautiful, I mean, you know, what LPs were like, wasn't it wonderful when we used to get them? Big size like this. There was this black and white, was this picture of of Van Cliburn, and I opened it up, pulled out the disc, and my father looked at me and he said, Tchaikovsky? Are you kidding me? Tchaikovsky? I learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson uh, that while I loved, and certainly loved, not only was I excited about this win, but I loved the, the hard-on-sleeve music of Tchaikovsky. Uh, I loved the great tunes, I loved the dramatic power of his music, 
I knew it wasn't quite top drawer among the inner circle, the inner cognoscenti of, of classical music fans. <clears throat> now, fortunately, I was somehow, I had enough inner strength not to be persuaded by my dad. And we laugh about it now. He's 93 years old, still buying CDs. And we, we, we laugh about this. Uh, he still doesn't think much of Tchaikovsky, but I do, and I'm not embarrassed to say so. So I want to talk about the Fifth Symphony, first of all, tonight, this wonderful second-last symphony which Tchaikovsky wrote, which we'll hear after intermission. And of course, one in talking about Tchaikovsky and talking about this music, we have to talk about fate, fate with a capital F. Fate is a powerful force that could never be overcome. Such, a, such an important theme in Tchaikovsky's life and music. As many of you will know, Tchaikovsky was gay. He was gay at a time when it was a capital crime in Tsarist Russia to be homosexual. And he was always filled with anguish and fear uh, over it. Maybe not so different from today, perhaps, where given the controversy that are, has been developing over gay rights in regard to the, um, to the Sochi Olympics in the Russian Federation. Tchaikovsky was gay. He, was, he at one time married uh, his, one of his students, probably as cover for him to exist in a homophobic society and to please his father. The marriage lasted two and a half months. Uh, Tchaikovsky knew he was gay, couldn't do anything about it except try and hide it, and he felt the heavy hand of fate in having created in himself someone who had this, had this aspect to him in such a hostile environment. And then there was a further personal issue which has a particular relationship to this time, 1888, when Tchaikovsky wrote this Fifth Symphony. He was 48 years old, and there's an entry in his notebooks about the opening of this symphony, which he describes as complete resignation before fate, or which is the same, the inscrutable predestination of providence, of God. Fate and God linked here in his, in his notebook, in his own hand. And in this, there's a reference to a condition which he merely describes as XXX, which many have assumed was his homosexuality, but in fact, there's now convincing evidence to indicate that XXX in the notebook refers to his gambling addiction, which was also plaguing him at this time. So this man was always a kind of emotional, personal mess. He was always in crisis. His fourth symphony had been uh, uh, wonderful, as many of you know, a, a triumph over fate. Now in the fifth symphony, certainly in the way it opens, there is no triumph, merely resignation, a kind of grim acceptance that his life is as it will be. So let's listen to the opening of this fifth symphony. It's a slow opening in dark strings, a theme like a a funeral march, a fate theme.
that's how the symphony opens, so quietly, so darkly. It's a beautiful dark color, the string writing and the low strings, just the clarinet and the bassoon. And this will go on for about three minutes. It's a long, slow opening before the tempo kind of picks up with an, uh, an allegro. And there are definitely some bright moments in this allegro, as, as you will notice, as the, this long, it's almost a 20-minute uh, movement that, that, that begins this symphony. But still that opening sets the tone, kind of brooding, resigned, Tchaikovsky resigned to his fate. But here's the thing with Tchaikovsky. As brooding and as dark and as pessimistic as he gets in these very confessional symphonies, he cannot not write a great tune. And you hear that in the beginning, that beautiful tune that will come back again in the third movement. And he'll do all kinds of wonderful variations on it in the, the first movement. So that's the fate theme in the first movement we just heard. But then in the second movement, we get one of his great big tunes, one of his incredibly beautiful tunes, as I like to call them. And this second movement, it begins again, we've heard about 20 minutes of bright uh, uh, elaboration, development on that fate theme. The second movement begins again darkly, slowly, and then for at about one minute, one minute into the symphony, the French horn, single French horn comes in to sing one of these incredibly beautiful Tchaikovsky themes. Lawrence Vine play at our principal 
horn here of the NAC orchestra. It's, it is one of the most beautiful big tunes that Tchaikovsky uh, ever wrote. And it's such beauty that comes out of his suffering. I think it's worth the, worth the price of admission to this concert just to hear these opening few minutes, just to hear. And of course, there's a lot of elaboration again. The piano will come in and, and uh, uh, it's not the piano, sorry. The uh, other instruments will come in and kind of echo this theme. Here's another thing about Tchaikovsky. His tunes were irresistible to Hollywood, to Tim Pan Alley. They kept stealing his tunes. So this tune, 1939, Two, three fellows, Mac Davis, Mac David, and Andre Kostelanitz. Some of you will know that name. They stole this tune and they called it Moon Love. Remember that? It was 1939. It was a direct steal from Tchaikovsky. And it wasn't the last time that he was robbed of, of a, one of his great tunes. Of course, his, Tchaikovsky's, are beautifully orchestrated. We heard this huge, gorgeous arc of a line take this tune, and it just continues for many more minutes. Um, it was kind of dumbed down by uh, Andre and friends, but oh, so popular, became a huge hit. And if you Google uh, Moon Love, you'll see how many people sing it. There, there are words to it, of course. Anyway, wonderful what Tchaikovsky did with it. Uh, later in that movement, that beautiful fate uh, horn theme will be interrupted by the return of that fate theme we heard in the first movement. So love and beauty again thwarted by fate, by all that bedeviled Tchaikovsky. There's another Tchaikovsky signature in this fifth symphony, and we hear it the moment we strike up the third movement. that? Anyone guess what that is? It's a waltz. It's a waltz. It's, you know, again, it, you know, Tchaikovsky couldn't help himself. Not only did he write the most beautiful waltzes for the ballet, Sleeping Beauty and Nutcracker and, and so on, but he, he filled his symphonies with them. And that certainly is what this is. He was one of the, the great writers of waltzes ever. This one, kind of graceful. Some think it's sort of a melancholy waltz. I don't really hear it as so melancholy, but it's, it's a kind of subdued waltz. It's not one of these grand Russian ball uh, waltzes, which you sometimes hear and see in the movies, and which we certainly get in, in the ballets. I once suggested to Bramwell Tovey. You all know who Bramwell Tovey is, music director of the Vancouver Symphony and was of the Winnipeg Symphony, and quite a wit. I used to love interviewing him on the radio. I once said to Bramwell, you know, I think we should stop calling Johann Strauss the Waltz King, and we should call Tchaikovsky the Waltz King. And Bramwell, with his quick wit and referencing Tchaikovsky's sexual orientation, he said, well, how about we call him the Waltz Queen? <laughs> oh. 
That was live on CBC Radio. <laughs> Why not? So we get this lovely short little waltz from the Waltz Queen, and then the fourth movement starts again. And remember we heard that fate theme at the, the beginning, the very beginning of the symphony. It comes back in a different form in the fourth. <laughs> So that's how the fourth movement, the last movement, opens, and it will build for almost 13 minutes into a glorious, majestic E major triumph. Now some critics think that it's a kind of false ending. After all of this sort of resignation to fate and some of the dark, brooding qualities earlier, that Tchaikovsky is, is just kind of manufacturing a, a, a beautiful ending. I don't know. I was listening again. I, I've wrestled with this in my own listening. I've listened to this, this uh, symphony for many, many years, as I'm sure you have. And listening to it again today in rehearsal, I thought to myself, I'm not so sure it's false. It may be Tchaikovsky trying to convince himself, convince himself that, in fact, he can overcome fate, that somehow there is something better, more glorious in life, more possible. Maybe there's some sort of happiness possible in his life, even though it never seemed that, that way. So maybe he only imagines it. Maybe it's, he knows it's futile. But as an artist, most artists in the end are optimistic, even against all evidence to the contrary. So that's a kind of quick Reader's Digest tour through the, um, through the Fifth Symphony, which we will hear on the second half. By the way, the recording that I was playing there was from, uh, it's one of my favorite recordings of this symphony still. Uh, it's an old New York Philharmonic recording with Leonard Bernstein. But I think you'll really enjoy it tonight. Uh, I should say, by the way, that, that uh, you'll see it's a big orchestra on stage tonight. Of course, you need a bigger orchestra for Tchaikovsky than you need for Mozart or Haydn. You'll see a lot of young players in the orchestra, some new faces. Uh, these are players who have been through the Summer Institute. Some of them are graduates of the Summer Institute. Others are trying out for positions which will become open. But uh, it's amazing how coherent and unified and, and uh, terrific this uh, orchestra sounds for having just started up for the first time this, this season. And you need these, this beautiful string writing particular, string performance particular with Tchaikovsky. So on the first half, uh, we get the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, the Piano Concerto Number no. 1, written 14 years before this Fifth Symphony. Tchaikovsky was 34 years old. He, um, when he wrote this, this uh, first piano concerto, it's the famous one that uh, Yefim Bronfman 
no uh, stranger to us here at the NAC, will be the soloist in uh, tonight. Now, interestingly enough, both with this concerto and later with a violin concerto, Tchaikovsky would get a very hostile reaction, mostly from his friends, because he, he was insecure and he would play this for his friends in the conservatory and he would play it through in the piano. And um, his friend Nicholas Rubinstein, who was head of the, the conservatory, uh, was extremely critical. I mean, just awful. I mean, you wouldn't say what he said to Tchaikovsky. You wouldn't say anything like that to your worst enemy when, you know. Um, but uh, that's, that, did, that is what happened to Tchaikovsky. And in fact, um, he was so overwhelmed by this, so angered by this, that uh, the first performance of the piano concerto uh, was in fact took place in Boston. The premiere happened with the Boston Symphony. And there's a great story of, uh, of how the conductor, Hans von Bülow, uh, sends a telegram to Tchaikovsky to say what a triumph it was in Boston. And, Ch and Tchaikovsky, who of course had, been, had just had such put downs from his friends in Russia, from his compos composer friends and others, uh, he spent all of the money he had at that moment on a return cable just to say thank you. It was such a it was such a, a special moment for him, and of course, it didn't take long with either the violin concerto or the piano concerto for them to become extremely popular, and even with those who had carped and and uh, complained about it. Well, this piano concerto does have a magnificent opening, very dramatic, all four horns blazing in unison on a four-note motive. The orchestra answers, and then when the piano and the orchestra land on D flat we get these massive chords across six octaves of the piano. Just incredible. And then into, surprise, surprise, another one of Tchaikovsky's big tunes. Let's hear the opening. sure many of you know this. It's uh, familiar. You've heard it before. You've listened to recordings. Uh, this is the Van Cliburn recording, the one that I, the very first, oh, this isn't the very, this isn't an example of that. It, the, the very first recording I bought is barely listenable. It's scratched, uh, almost destroyed. But I still have it because I love it. Um, but this, of course, is a, is a, is a clean CD copy that, uh, that I have. But um, Van Cliburn with the RCA Symphony, Kirill Kondrashin conducting, who conducted the performance at, uh, when, when Tchaikovsky won in Moscow. A bold, dramatic opening to this, to this concerto, unleashing that big tune, that beautiful big tune. Tchaikovsky just couldn't help himself. Um, incidentally, another tune that was stolen from Tchaikovsky for the pop charts. This time it was uh, band leader Freddie Martin who used it for his 1941 hit, Tonight We Love, Tonight We Love. 
Now, interesting, this was not an original tune with Tchaikovsky. He himself was a borrower uh, of this, not just a lender to Hollywood, but a borrower um, to, for, for this. It's a tune that he heard in, um, he heard a bunch of blind beggars uh, somewhere in Kiev. He was walking through Kiev uh, in Ukraine, and he heard some blind beggars playing this tune. And he, he did what, uh, what all great artists, was T.S. Eliot who once said, good poets never borrow, they steal. And uh, certainly that is what uh, Tchaikovsky did here. He stole it from those blind beggars on the streets of Kiev. But, uh, you know, takes, it takes an artist to know when it's worth stealing and, and incorporating into your own work. And it certainly, uh, certainly indicates that here. So that movement goes on for about 20 minutes. Lots of fireworks. There's a huge piano cadenza in it. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, <clears throat> I should say that uh, our soloist, um, Yefim Bronfman, is certainly up to all of this. Now, the second movement of this concerto begins with uh, very quiet pizzicatos on the strings. And then we hear a sweet song in the solo flute, which the piano will eventually pick up. Not a big tune. A small tune, but oh, so exquisitely beautiful. love that. Isn't that gorgeous? It's absolutely gorgeous. And it comes, you know, in the middle of a concerto where there's a lot of virtuosic, I won't say crash banging, but sometimes that is exactly what happens with pianists. I don't think, I, I shouldn't, because uh, I listened to the dress rehearsal, I shouldn't presume exactly what's going to happen tonight. But I think tonight you'll hear a performance that really does emphasize the lyrical, uh, the intimate qualities of this piece, as well as all the fireworks. Now, that tune, small but exquisite, was also a tune that Tchaikovsky borrowed. It's a French song, was sung by a Belgian soprano named Desiree Artaud, the only woman it is said that Tchaikovsky ever responded to sexually. Uh, he proposed to her actually about five years before he wrote this concerto. He was in his late 20s. Um, uh, he, uh, he had proposed to her but she turned him down and she married Count Somebody. But she is memorialized. Whatever he felt for her and whatever he felt in hearing the music that she sang is memorialized in this enchanting interlude of a movement. It's not a big tune, 
but certainly a sweet one. The third movement, the last movement in this concerto, is based on another Ukrainian folk song. But this is a very different, fast and energetic. And then uh, we'll hear Tchaikovsky, after introducing this, this theme, introducing a second lyrical theme. Vintage Tchaikovsky. interweaving themes throughout this third and last movement, again reminding us what a tunesmith our man Tchaikovsky was. But not just thinking about this music, thinking about this man and his life, the life that he led, the kind of tortured life that he led. Lived to just 50, died at age 50, probably from drinking some polluted water. Um, that's, that's a subject for a whole, many PhD theses, and I'm not sure we'll ever resolve that tonight. Uh, certainly not tonight. But Tchaikovsky's life, and I always want to think, you know, step back for a moment and think about a composer's life who's given us these incredible pieces, these pieces that will, as long as there are orchestras playing or CDs or something, you know, digital playing, we will continue to listen to and love. Other things may pass away, this music will not, because it so touches the heart and soul. So in thinking about Tchaikovsky, it reminds us how challenging it is to be born to artistic talent, to find one's way in a world often hostile to the talent which, uh, which that person has and what it produces. So here it was Tchaikovsky's fate, with a capital F, to be gay, to be Russian, to be heart-on-sleeve romantic, not so in tune with the nationalist composers around him, and yet one who not only persevered, but triumphed in his lifetime, despite all that was against him, and created this beautiful music, which, as I said, we listen to again and again with the deepest of pleasure, or most of us do, anyway. Fate lurked all of his life, but Tchaikovsky's tunes and what he did with them triumphed. 
So I just <clears throat> urge you, I don't have to urge you, I know that you will enjoy the fruit of all this again tonight here at the NAC. And what a pleasure it is to, to be here with you as we open the season with this romantic festival and hear this gorgeous music played live for us once again. How lucky we are. Thanks very much. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.